Praise God, everybody. Man, thank God for that offering from our worship and fine arts ministry, from the music ministry. We're grateful and thankful to the Lord to be reminded of how awesome God is and how blessed we are to be children of God. And as we think about this 150th anniversary uh, here at our church, we think about the faithfulness of God uh, towards us recognizing that he has been faithful in the past he is faithful right now and he will be faithful as we move forward let's go to God in prayer and ask God's blessings on our time today father we thank you and we bless you for today I thank you for these people under the sound of my voice I thank you God for the marvel and in many ways the miracle of technology that allows us to be together in a meaningful way, to fellowship around the throne, to give you glory and praise no matter where we are. And I pray now that you'll bless your word as it goes forth, that those who hear your word would be more than just hearers. Pray that they would be doers as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So many of you uh, know that I'm from New York. Um, I attended PS 34 in the Lower East Side of Manhattan in what is called Alphabet City, 10th Street and Avenue D, 465 East 10th Street to be exact. And I had some great teachers at PS 34. And, and one teacher I remember uh, in particular was Miss Goldblatt. Miss Goldblatt. Miss Goldblatt was a was a, a funny lady. Uh, whenever uh, students did well in their class work, uh, she would reward us. And and one of the things that she gave out was a pen. I remember this pen. It's amazing how there are many things in life you forget, but there are some things that you remember. This pen was was black at the bottom and gold at the top. And she gave us this pen. Uh, as a gift, Miss Goldblatt. I don't know if she gave us a gold and black pen because gold was a part of her name. Um, I can remember on one funny occasion, she, she was asking after New Year's about what we ate for New Year's. And uh, I told her that my, my mother made chitlins. And she looked at me, she said, chitlins? Chitlins? And I said, yes, chitlins. And she said, what, what are chitlins? And I said, it's what my mama made, chitlins. And Ms. Goldblatt looked it up in a dictionary, or at least tried to find it in a dictionary. <laughs> and she came back and she said, uh, Derek, were you, were you talking about chitterlings? And I said, chitterlings? I said, no, my mama made chitlins. <laughs> well, let me tell you this one occasion. One occasion, because uh, Ms. Goldblatt, of course, was our second grade teacher. And so this is a self-contained classroom, right? We didn't change classes or anything. And so we're in this class, and we had to do some work. It's time for writing. It's time for writing. And, and, and writing can be a little tough for, for young kids, right? Um, because you have this assignment, and, and you know, you've already had the pieces of paper with the lines on it. And Ms. Goldblatt, she was a little advanced, right? So she, she wanted us to learn how to write without lines, Right. She wanted us to learn how to write across the paper and write straight. Uh, if you didn't have that 
that bottom line that was solid and that middle line that was dashed, right? And so we're sitting there and we're writing and obviously nobody heard the assignment correctly. Nobody heard the assignment correctly because as she went around to look at what we had done and how we had done it, everybody in the class messed up. Everybody in the class messed up. And to Ms. Goldblatt's credit, she did not blame us for not listening properly. She took the blame on herself, basically articulating that she obviously didn't explain the assignment properly. And so here's what she told us to do. Take the paper that you've been writing on, ball it up, and put it in the trash. We're going to start all over again. And so that's what we did. We balled up the paper. And you know some kids, right, they tried to throw it in and they tried to pitch it in and somebody pretended like they were playing basketball. But at the end of the day, take the piece of paper, ball it up, and put it in the trash. We're going to start all over. My brothers and my sisters, I was reminded by my friend John Adolph, pastor at the Antioch Baptist Church, when he's told the story of the same thing happening to him in a teacher's class, Miss Lacey. That there are times in life when the best remedy is not an eraser, the best remedy is not whiteout, the best remedy is to ball it up and start all over again. And I kind of feel like that's what God has done for us as a church over the last two years. It's almost as if God has been looking at the church. Now, somebody may say, wait a minute, why are you saying that, Pastor? Well, here's what we know. Prior to COVID-19, 85% of churches in our country had either plateaued or were in decline, which means 85% of churches has stopped growing or were in decline and or dying. That number has only been exasperated by COVID-19. That number probably now is somewhere between 93 and 95% of churches, which means if you line up 10 churches, any 10 churches, pick 10 churches, eight to nine out of 10 of those churches have not grown, are not growing, or are in decline more people are leaving than are coming. And my brothers and sisters, it's almost as if God is saying, hey, y'all, let's start over. Let's hit the reset button. Now, here's what I want you to understand. What is true for the church of Jesus Christ, I believe is applicable to those of us who say we are Christ followers. Here's what I mean. I almost feel like the last two years have given me an opportunity to hit the reset button. It's been an opportunity for me to look in the mirror, look at myself and say, what do I need to do to refocus? Now that God has pulled a lot of things out and away from me, how can I be strategic in what I bring back into my life and who I bring back into my life? Today, I want to continue our series, Being Great for God. Being Great for God. And we started off last week talking about committed to living the Great Commission. 
that you and I, we cannot be great for God if we have not made a commitment to live out the great commission. Today, I want to bring part two of this message, committed to living the great commission. I believe each of us has an opportunity to experience a reset, to make the main thing the only thing, to reset priorities in our life in terms of faith and family and friends and finances, to look at all of these areas and make sure that they are all now being brought under the sovereign rule of God. And today I want to conclude our message of living the Great Commission. Now, on last week, I shared with you a couple of things, and I'd like to just revisit those real quickly. I said to you, to be who God wants you to be, you must make the purpose of the church your purpose as a believer. That the purpose of the church should be your purpose as a believer because there is no church without you. And so when Jesus says, make disciples, that's an imperative. That's a command. That's the only command in the Great Commission. There is no command to go. The word for go is a participle, basically translated as you go. In other words, I don't need to make a special trip to make a disciple. Discipleship opportunities present themselves every day of my life, whether it's in my home, on my job, for somebody at school, in a supermarket, beauty shop, barbershop, wherever you go, there's a disciple-making opportunity. And that word for make disciple, mathetes, in the Greek language, is more than just the dissemination of information. It's the giving of information in order to produce life transformation. We are interacting with people in order to help them to grow and become all that God wants them to be. How can we share with them to make them a little more godly? To give them a little more oomph to follow Jesus. That's what making a disciple is really all about. And the truth of the matter is, there are many of us who are disciples, but we have missed the responsibility to make a disciple. See, every person that is a disciple has a responsibility to make a disciple. It's not just intended for you to become a Christian and then just sit there and say, oh, I'm in. He says, no, if you are a disciple, I want you to make disciples. We have to be about making disciples who make disciples. And I shared with you last week that there are many saints who are seedless saints. Seedless saints, they're producing no fruit. You remember? Those seedless watermelons, how sweet and how great they are, but they're a hybrid and they are an anomaly because they cannot reproduce themselves. Seedless watermelons are produced for one reason only, for people's pleasure, not for reproduction. And there are many of us who think we have been created for our pleasure. And God says, no, I don't need seedless saints. I need you to reproduce me, not just in you, but in other people. I share with you, secondly, to be who God wants you to be, you must do whatever it takes to make disciples of Jesus Christ. You've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. And he says there's two things. 
two participles, baptizing them and teaching them. Baptism speaks to evangelism, the sharing of our faith, the sharing of the good news with people who need it. Teaching them is the idea of nurturing them to facilitate their spiritual growth and maturity. Sharing with them the principles and precepts and practices of God in order to help them change their life, their living, their philosophy, their perspective on life. We are to teach them. Here's the truth of the matter, my brothers and sisters. We have been discipled by many, and we have discipled many. We just didn't disciple them in the ways of God, and we were not discipled in the ways of God. Let me give you an example. If you, if you discipled somebody on how to go out and party or how to have a good time or how to get a woman or how to get a man, right, those are all discipleship principles. You just weren't discipling them to walk with Jesus. Jesus says, I need disciples who will make disciples. And remember, you don't have to be perfect to be a disciple. Being a disciple doesn't mean you are a spiritual superman or spiritual superwoman. It just means that you are committed to growing and maturing and becoming what God wants you to be. And when you make a disciple, you are committed to helping somebody else experience that joy in their life. Here's what I need you to see today. Part two, number one, to be who God wants you to be, you need to realize God is with you. Everybody say with me. Come on, everybody say with me. Realize God is with you when you make obeying him your priority. You need to realize God is with you when you make obeying him your priority. Now, Watch what he says. Verse 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. This is Matthew 28, verse 20. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I am with you always even to the end of the age. Now, now y'all, I got to tell you something. As I was preparing for this, man, the Holy Ghost had to arrest me because I was so quick to read the verse that I read over a blessing in the verse. Watch what the text says. And be sure of this. Be certain of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We love to claim that the Lord is with us, but God has not promised to be with us in whatever we do and however we act. God promises to be with us when we obey him in not only being a disciple, but when we obey him in making a disciple. I mean, think about it for a minute. It's connected. When you teach these new disciples, who's a new disciple? 
Remember what I always tell you, there's two kinds of people in the world, people who know Jesus and people who need Jesus. So when you find somebody who needs Jesus and they come to know him, they are a new disciple. And once they become a new disciple, they no longer need Jesus. Now we have to teach them to know him and to grow in him. And the word says, I am with you always. Now that phrase, I am, is a powerful phrase. I need you to, to buckle up your seatbelt, if you will, because I, I got somewhere to go today, y'all. He, he says, I am with you. I am. That phrase is the phrase, ego a me. It's the uh, verb form to be, I am. Now, what's interesting is that I am has historical and theological significance whenever it is spoken by Jesus because of who used it prior to Jesus. Let me put a cord in the meter and park right here and make it plain for you. It was in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, Moses has gone through his sojourn and now is on the backside of a Midian desert. He sees on the mountain a bush burning. He goes up to investigate. The bush is on fire, but it is not consumed. He hears the voice of God saying, take off your shoes, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. I don't want to assume anybody knows the story, but if you know it, say amen. Moses goes back and forth as the Lord challenges him and tells him, I want you to go down and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses looks to God and he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I was run out of Egypt. I hid from Egyptians who were looking to take my life after I took the life of an Egyptian. Who am I to go back and say, Pharaoh, let the people of God go? Listen to what the scripture says, verse 12, Exodus chapter 3. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? It's as if Moses says, okay, I got two problems. First of all, if I go and tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh's really not going to want to hear anything from me. But I've got another problem, God. If I go and tell your people, thus says the Lord, they're going to say, oh, well, if you talk to God, what's his name? And you remember what God said? God said, verse 14, to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. I am has sent me to you. Now, listen to me. Don't, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. The phrase I am 
when it's translated into the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures for the Hellenized Jews, the translation is ego ami. So here is God in the book of Exodus telling Moses, when you go to tell my people who I am, just tell them I am that I am. You don't need to tell them my name, just tell them I am that I am. See, throughout the scriptures, this is not the first time I am was used to refer to God. It was used to refer to God with Abraham. It was used to refer to God with Isaac and Jacob. So what God says to them, he says, listen, Moses, remind my people of who I am. Because once you remind them of who I am, they'll know what I can do. You just have to bring back to their remembrance. It's almost like God has to be reintroduced to his people. Now, here's what somebody's missing right now. Lord, I wish, I could, I, I wish you could feel it like I feel it. Here's what you're missing right now. When, when Jesus says, and I am with you always, there's the promise of the presence of I am. In other words, he says, when you make disciples... I want to shout right here, y'all. When you make disciples, he says, I am is with you. I am with you. Now, here's the problem. Many times we are praying, asking God to be with us in a bunch of stuff that we're doing, and this is a place where God has promised to be with us. And instead of us doing what God has already said he would bless, We're busy praying, asking God to bless whatever we're doing. And at best, when you pray and you ask God to bless what you're doing, it's hit or miss. But when I do what I know God has already said he's going to bless, man, favor's on my side. God says, I am with you always. Let me just tell you this real quick, and then I'm going to get out of here. Watch this. He promises his presence. He promises his presence. Uh, That's why he said in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Matthew 1.23, here's the promise that's made to Mary that all of us claim. Behold, verse 23, Matthew 1, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. Everybody say Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. But he not only promises his presence, he promises his power. He promises his power. Jeremiah 1.8 Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Man, when you got I am on your side, you you got his presence, you got his power, but check this out, you got his protection. Watch what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 15, verse 20. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you, 
to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord, for I am with you. He promises his presence. He promises his power. He promises his protection. He promises his provision that he will provide for you when you need it most. We can talk to the prophet Elijah about how God can take a nature of a beast and turn a scavenger into a waiter or a waitress to provide what is needed when you need it the most. He's a provider. But watch this. He promises his peace. He promises his peace. Verse 27, Matthew 14. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Same phrase, ego I me. Watch, watch what happens. Watch what happens and I'm going to take my seat. Watch what happens. The Bible says that the disciples were on their way to the other side. The storm is raging. Jesus comes to them. And they are afraid. They're in, free, in fear that it's a ghost coming to them because they don't recognize Jesus in the midst of their storm. And the Bible said he comes to them and he says, be of good cheer, take heart. And then he gives that majestic phrase, it is I. Do not be afraid. In other words, he says, Ego I me. I am has shown up. I know your storm is raging, but I am is on the scene. I know the wind is blowing, but I am is on the scene. I know you're afraid, but I am is on the scene. And here's all I'm trying to get you to understand. When you make making disciples your priority, you assure yourself that I am is going to be with you in every situation, in every circumstance. When you're up, when you're down, when you're out, when you're in. Good times, bad times, I am is on your side. My brothers and my sisters, if you want to be great for God, if you really want to be great for God, listen, Greatness is never found in God by impressing people. Greatness is always found in God when we make a commitment to impact people's lives and change their lives for their good, for their growth, and to God's glory. Let's crumple up the paper, the paper of our misguided faith, the paper of our cultural Christianity, uh, the paper of tradition, and let's start over. Let's make the main thing the only thing. Let's start over and let's become a great person for God. Father, we thank you and we bless you. I pray now, God, that everything that has been done and said has been pleasing in your sight. God, we thank you because whatever we need, when you are present, you can provide it. 
So whether we need your peace, your provision, your protection, or your power, God, we thank you. And we find, God, that we can access you best and expect the most when we walk in obedience to your word and we make your will our will instead of trying to make our will your will. We ask you to have your way, Lord, as only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My brothers and sisters, thank you for today. Thank you for being with us. Man, I hope and pray that you are ready to experience this kind of spiritual reset in your life. You know, I've heard people talk about a reset, but typically when they talk about a reset, they're talking about what they need to do so that they can get more stuff and and they can get more from God. They're not thinking about what they need to do in terms of resetting their lives so that they can give more to God. And I want you to know, man, God, 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 God has so much he wants to bless you with. But the blessings of God are tied to our obedience. I'm going to talk about that in the next coming weeks because it's important for us to understand the relationship between loving God and loving people and obeying God. I'll say that for next time. Listen, if you're watching right now and you need the Lord in your life, I want to give you an opportunity right now to say yes to the Lord. God wants you to say yes to him. Here's the wonderful thing about the love of God. He loves you where you are, but he loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to make something beautiful out of your life, but he can't do it without your permission and without your participation. You need to say yes to him. If you're watching right now and you want to give your life to the Lord, you want to experience his presence his power, his protection, his provision, his peace in your life. You want to experience those things. I'm telling you, obeying him is the way to experience those things in your life. And the first step of obedience is saying yes to God, giving your life to him. Click on the link that says, I want to become a Christian. I want to be saved. What does that mean? And I'll walk you through via video how to ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. And I want to thank God. Man, we have people all over the world who are receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior because of this ministry. And I want you to be one of them if you need Jesus in your life. If you're looking for a church home to become part of, here's what I need you to know. We welcome you to join us on the virtual platform. Now, if you're in the Houston metropolitan area, man, we welcome you to come. We have reopened, but we're not stopping what we're doing on the digital platform. We're not stopping what we're doing and we're not stopping how we're doing it. I want this ministry to bless you wherever you are to help you fulfill your potential in Jesus Christ. Click on the link that says, I want to join the church and we'll help facilitate your discipleship on the digital platform. We want to help you connect, not just with other ministries and churches, but we want to help you to connect with uh, other projects and things. Even if you're not in the Houston metropolitan area, you may be somewhere else in the world. How can we help you to grow in your walk with the Lord? And if you want to be baptized, man, we can help you get that done as well, no matter where you are in the world. We can help walk you through that as well. We're excited about that potential. 
Now, for those of you who want to worship the Lord in giving, there are six ways that you can worship the Lord in giving here at the Good Hope Church online on the digital platform. Any one of those six ways. And if there's a seventh way, if there's a way that we don't have listed that you want us to add in order for you to be able to give, we'll add that as well. But this is an opportunity for you to give and partner with us in the kingdom building work. Thousands of people are being blessed through our food pantry. Millions of pounds of food are being distributed to address food insecurities in our area. Just had a meeting. Uh, We are looking at moving forward with putting a health and wellness center on our campus. We have been involved in health and wellness issues over the last eight years, nine years coming up in May. We have been very committed to testing people, to making sure that people have access to health care, especially when you have two and a half to three million people who do not have access. They are underinsured or uninsured. We have an opportunity now to bridge that gap. And so we've been coordinating with our community partners to bring a free mammogram screening uh, on our campus, to bring free prostate screening on our campus. We have hospitals like MD Anderson who touts themselves as the hospital that makes cancer history, but they don't offer free testing to people who cannot afford to pay for a test. That's a travesty. That's a travesty when they receive millions of dollars from the state of Texas as a teaching institution and less than 3% of the care that they give are the people who can't afford to purchase it. I think it's a travesty in this country that people have to sell their property in order to get medical care and medical treatment. A travesty That's one of the things that we speak out against here at our church. Um, So listen, whether it's vaccinations or it's testing, uh, whatever we can do, HIV testing, we've tested hundreds of people uh, for HIV and AIDS. Again, because we believe it's better to know. And once you know, then you can find a path to treatment. Your donations help us to make those things possible. And I've got to say a word about Project Hope. Project Hope is booming. Man, we have kids who have been assigned to us by the district attorney's office, uh, trying to help them get on the right path uh, after making a wrong step. But I got to tell you something, man. We've got parents now who are coming who are saying, listen, my child has never gotten in trouble to my knowledge, never gotten caught, but my child needs some help. And we're doing two things. We're working with those parents, working with those parents, and in working with those parents, here's what we ask for. We ask for parents to bring their children, but we don't demand parental involvement. We want to give them parental empowerment. We want to empower these parents to be the best that they can be because here's what many people know, many of you who are watching. Man, teenagers are different, y'all. Teenagers are different. And when you have a child who all of a sudden uh, flips a switch um, and they think they're grown, uh, senility has kicked in, and that's a natural biological, neurological fact. Uh, when their circadian clocks are turned upside down, uh, I can only assure you so much by telling you they're going to grow out of it. You're trying to figure out how not to kill them in the meanwhile, right? So we help those parents, 
and we help these young people find a path of positivity for them. Um, so, man, I, I'm just excited. So many great things. Our picnic coming up, church picnic, um, events that we have coming up, fellowship events, so many things going. I can just go on and on and on. Listen, here's the only thing I want to say to you, and then I'm going to let you go. God is doing something wonderful in us, and God is doing something wonderful in you. Why don't we let God do the wonderful things in us together? All right? God bless you. God be with you. I love you. And let God keep helping you become all he wants you to be. God bless.